Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Antioch Church. Delighted you're with us today. We're in a teaching series in the book of James. James has written this letter to all of the Christian communities that have dispersed from Jerusalem and are scattered around the Roman Empire. And calling this teaching series Faith Works, James very much wants people to be known for their authentic faith in Christ by what they do. And James continues in our message today on his theme of talk less and do more. So I'm going to read the text for today. It's James 3 verses 1 to 12. You can open up your Bibles or follow along in your Bible apps. Before I read the text, though, I will pray. You bow your heads as I pray. Father God, thank you that you are Lord of all. Father, as we receive this word from James to the persecuted Christians and then through them to us here today, Lord, may we be reminded of your great love for us. And that, Lord, if there's uh, things that we might be tempted to do, respond to trials in unhealthy ways, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom that we need. Father, each one of us struggles with the words that we say. Lord, this message is on taming the tongue, so please help us to be known for our kind words rather than our harsh words. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. So the text is James 3 verses 1 to 12. It's on taming the tongue. It's not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is at never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water f flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I knew before teaching, uh, studying for this message this weekend that this was going to be a, a rough text for me. There's three texts, and this is one of them, that always scare the living daylights out of me as I'm aware of my shortcomings in being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. One of the first texts that scares me is when Jesus says, for one of the least of these that you do, you do for me. And Jesus is talking about... Uh, do we have a compassion for those less fortunate than ourselves? And they've been made in God's image. So it's almost like as we care for those less fortunate, 
Uh, we should treat it as if we're caring for Jesus. The second thing that Jesus says to his disciples, which scares me, is he says, all of these things that I've been doing, you'll do greater than these. And again, I'm reminded of uh, my shortcomings of being an ambassador for Christ. And this is the third one. It's about taming the tongue. And as I was studying it, I became even more concerned. Uh, don't know if you picked up on it in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. What it means here in teachers is those who have the official role of teaching within the church. So typically uh, a pastor such as myself. And as I was considering what this meant, I became more and more scared in the reality of it. Imagine if you were at school and the teacher said they were going to grade your papers more severely. You wouldn't like it at all. If you were going to take your driving test and the examiner said they're going to be uh, examining you more severely. Or maybe even at work you have an annual review and the boss says, I'm going to grade you infinitely harder than everyone else. I have very high expectations of you. Even imagine if you're a parent and the middle child syndrome is actually true and you think that your parents are judging you more severely. It would feel awful. And then as we read this text, James is saying, it's not just people will judge you more severely, God if you're a teacher, will judge you more severely. And it was very, very frightening to read this. But it makes sense that if we're representing God, if we're uh, letting people know how to be an ambassador for Christ, as we teach the Bible, as we speak about who God is and our identity in him, not only can those words that God gives us in the Bible bring life, they can cause tremendous harm too. So it teaches very much upstream. My view of God, my uh, handle on my own shortcomings can really impact uh, how I pastor and how I speak about God. If you're in the Lake District in England and you want to go hiking, uh, if you want to get some fresh water, it's typically if you find a source of water, you follow it up to the upstream bit and get some water from there and fill up your flask. Now, I've held more dead hamsters and baby rabbits in the last three years, and I care to mention. But what I do notice is uh, when they're looking very ill, I'll give them some water. And as soon as they've had some water, they expire. And rather than me squeezing them hard, it's because when the body is shutting down, there's a natural inclination to think that uh, an animal is thirsty and will go to a water source. And so what you'll sometimes find in the Lake District in England is there'll be a, an animal's carcass upstream, typically a sheep's, for example. And that's why you have to go upstream to make sure it's a fresh source of water. And it's the same here. James is saying, as he's speaking to the persecuted church about how to be a true ambassador for Christ, how to have a transformed heart from the inside out, he's saying, watch out, teachers, it's not just you teaching this to the people in the congregation. God is going to hold you more accountable. Are you going to teach what the Bible says accurately, or are you going to be more someone that bends to culture? Is our teaching to please God, or is it to please people? Just as you can give life with God's words, we can also bring ruin and cause tremendous harm. 
So this teaching series, or this teaching message is Taming the Tongue. The first section was Teachers Beware. Now the second verse in here, I just want to explain that to you. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. There's two interpretations on this word perfect. One is that it means complete, as in really spiritually mature. But I will take it as the second option because of what it says later on in this very text, which is uh, no one is perfect, and so the tongue is uncontrollable, and no one can claim that they can keep their whole body in check. So the first section was teachers beware in taming the tongue. The second section is the poisonous tongue. And I'll read the text to you now, James 3, verses 3 to 8. So when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. I'll just stop there after verse 4. James uses the example of how very small things can control the whole direction of something. That a bit in the horse's mouth will determine where the horse goes. That a small rudder can actually steer the huge direction of a ship. And the same way, the tongue, not only does it control the whole body and our uh, witness of Jesus, at the same time it can alter the courses of people's lives. Through my own story and through pastoral counselling, I'm very much aware that some of the most significant wounds people have is from words that were spoken over them, that were spoken over them to destroy or to shame, uh, do anything other than build them up. And those are wounds that people carry with them for a very, very long time in life. And it can really alter the uh, trajectory of that person's life can really alter the trajectory of a family's life and generations after generations. James goes on to say uh, that the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. He says, consider, this is verse 5, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You see, just in the last two years, the huge devastation caused by the wildfires in California. And typically they're started by a small spark. What they've even done some research is some of them were deliberately started. And whereas a small fire can be contained, it soon gets out of control and it brings terrible ruin and destruction, widespread devastation. And James knows this as he's giving the example. He doesn't say it just hurts people. He says it causes huge, uncontrollable devastation. James also, I believe, is saying, do not be a spiritual arsonist. So do not deliberately uh, by use the tongue for evil, making great boasts, setting the whole course of one's life on the bad direction, setting the whole course of someone else's life on a bad direction. 
as it talks about at the end of verse 6, uh, it's itself set on fire by hell. James means that the tongue can be used for good or it can be used for evil. It can be used for good when we praise God, which is the very reason we were given our tongues. Equally, we can build people up in their identity in Christ. But it can also be used for evil. And James doesn't hold back by saying it can be set on course by hell. He means it can be used satanically. Remember when Jesus explains to his disciples that he's going to have to be killed. Peter says, oh, no, don't. Do not do this. And Jesus' response is, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And it doesn't take much looking back into our own stories, our own shortcomings to realize that so often the tongue which is to praise God and give life can be used to kill and destroy and divide. Whether it was a teacher in church, whether it was a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, a relative, a colleague, a neighbor, a friend. The tongue can be used for great harm. Verse 7, it talks through how uh, humans can control many things, even uh, great birds, animals, reptiles and sea creatures. But since this letter was written, mankind has controlled a much, much more than, let's say, a killer whale. We have control over pretty much everything other than the weather at the moment. But not even the most powerful man in the Western world, President of the United States, can control his tongue. So it brings us to a point of if not even the most powerful person can control the tongue, what hope do we have? What can we do about it? Well, there's a little bit more bad news before there is good news. So we found out that James is encouraging people to tame their tongue. He's saying, talk less. Beware of what you say, and particularly teachers beware. And the conviction moved from me as a Bible teacher to all of us, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, there are times when the things that come out of our mouth do not match who we are in Christ and who the person is uh, being made in the image of God as we speak so harshly to them. Next point is inside out. See, I miraculously produced this orange. If I squeeze this orange, orange juice would come out. The orange juice comes out because it's on the inside. If I squeezed this and lemon juice came out, it would not be an orange. It would be a lemon. James in verses 9 to 12 is talking through that what is on the inside of us can't help but come out eventually. There may be many areas of our lives which we've surrendered to Christ. But if there's any residual bitterness in us that God wants to heal us from, any residual resentment or anger, then sooner or later it will come out in the words that we say. And James continues in this teaching to say that it doesn't make sense. If you've been transformed from the inside out to be an ambassador of Christ, just as you can speak life into people, you can cause tremendous harm. 
I'll read it to you now, verse 9 through to 12. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who be made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Examples of positive speech would be a speech that's pure in its language. It'd be peaceful. It seeks to reconcile. It seeks to bring people closer to God and bring human beings closer together. It's speech that asks for forgiveness. It's speech that has consideration of others. Speech marked by mercy, sincerity, impartiality. It's also speech marked by submission. We'll move into this in chapter 4 next week. And it's a controversial word when you say submissive, submissive speech is a positive example of speech. Think through Christ's example in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he is wrestling with the reality of what is before him, as he's going to prove the full extent of his love for humanity and the full extent of his obedience to the Father, he's also representing his full submission to the Father. As he's trying to look for a way out, as he is sweating blood, such as his stress, he says, Father, not my will be done, but yours. You know, that's seeding uh, what's going to be on for next week. But it will also look like understanding that even if we do not see a way out of our current trial, even if we're frightened, even if we're angry, one of the ways that we get to that's healthy way to speak, which we've wrestled with God, is to say, but I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you, Lord. James is wanting us to look inside ourselves. And as I was reading the text this week, I was very much convicted that there are times when I can color the sky when no one else is there with different types of language. It happened only last night as I was driving the car to uh, the encounter night. I'd thought, I've got it together with my tongue this week and what I've been saying. I've been really convicted. I'd repented to God and been trying as hard as possible just not to say things when I felt frustrated. As I looked inside myself, I saw there was bitterness inside. And I've asked God to take some of that bitterness away. And as I was driving to this church event, I was thinking through this message and clearly had lost concentration as there was a long line of stationary cars in front of me on the roads in Naperville. I slammed the brakes on, the car skidded towards the car in front of me. It was clear I was going to rear-end it, and without thinking and out of a reflex, I swerved to the right. Mercifully, there was no other car driving alongside me, and I missed crashing the car. Two words came out of my mouth that I do not wish to share. And it shows that even if we try our hardest, we're repentant and we want to be changed from the inside out. It's almost impossible to change what comes out of our mouth. So should I just give up? Should I think, well, I'm never going to be able to control it, so I'm not going to bother at all? No. 
What it means is to have a heart check from the inside out. Is there stuff that we need to hand over to God? Is there a wound that needs healing? Is there unforgiveness? Is there forgiveness that we need? Is there reconciliation that we need? And in the midst of understanding the high standard that God calls us to, we also understand the great love through Jesus Christ which he gave us. We'll go on to that in a moment. James has been throwing some punches throughout this letter, some really hard-hitting warnings. He's saying, as you go through trials, watch out for this, watch out for this, watch out for this. And he doesn't uh, allow any room for grey. It's very clear about what is the right thing to do, a wise and mature way to live as a Christian, and what is a really unhealthy way to live. He says it's so unhealthy. If this is your general posture, then maybe you don't have the transformed heart that there is. And so it is with our tongue. If we do not go before God wanting to be changed from the inside out, even have our tongue under control, if we've said this is just the way I am, and we don't actually regret things that we say, we may think, well, they had it coming to them. If we don't seek to speak out of peace, out of purity, with mercy, with sincerity, with consideration of others. If we're just saying, well, this is just me, and you're going to have to deal with it. And James would say, you might not have a heart of flesh which true followers of Christ have. You may actually have a heart of stone. And he's not trying to be a jerk in pointing this out. He knows that what we believe about Christ and whether we have submitted ourselves to him has eternal consequence. And he wanted the church, as they were persecuted and scattered and under great trials, he wanted them to know, yes, there may be times when you cannot control your tongue. But if your words are no different from those around you, if it's just who you are and you have no desire to change or do what it takes to change, he says you may not be a follower of Christ after all. So far as I've spoken on taming the tongue, we've looked at teachers beware, and then how all of us need to be careful, because uh, the tongue is poisonous. Funny, the third point has been inside out. What is on the inside will eventually come out. And so if we have uh, bitterness, it will come out in our words. Instead of me as a pastor saying to you, well, stop it, It's not very helpful. I'd say sit before God and speak with him and allow him to reveal areas of our lives which we need to hand over to him. And in verse 2, it says, we all stumble in many ways. It then says, anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. The reality is none of us are perfect and so there is always going to be an element where we cannot control the tongue. What we can do, if it's been used satanically to to destroy or harm someone, just as you've lit a match on some dry kindle, you can stamp that fire out. We can quickly ask for forgiveness from God and the person that we have hurt with the cruel words that we have said. James has been speaking in his letter as well about being a true follower of Christ means that you're justified, you've been counted righteous. Another way of saying this, if you're 
justified in front of God, it means the penalty of sin no longer is there with us. It means that we will no longer eternally die, that Christ has taken the punishment for us. But there is a reality uh, that we're still in the presence of sin. And so it is with our language. At times we'll be around salty language and at times we'll uh, commit salty language. But as we're being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, James would want us to know that we're no longer under the power of sin. So there's no penalty of sin. We shouldn't be under the power of sin anymore, even though we're surrounded by its presence. And with that, there is hope that God, who has started the work in us, transforming us from the inside out, will see it to completion. And as we're reminded that no one can keep control of their tongue unless they're perfect, we're reminded that Jesus himself was the perfect teacher, that he perfectly controlled his tongue. As he was going uh, to be crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Not my will be done, but yours. He was up on the cross and he'd been humiliated. And people were casting lots for his clothes, gambling and mocking him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I don't know about you, if all it takes for me to lose my temper, if I was stressed and tired and whatever trials are in my way, if I was sharing that with someone across a table and they threw a glass of water into my face, I would get a pretty severe volcano reaction to them. And my counsel to us is Satan can do so much more than just chuck a glass of water at us. And he gave it to Christ both barrels and yet even in the midst of this Christ perfectly controlled his tongue even with the thief on the cross one of the gospel accounts shows that they were both mocking Christ and when the thief turns to him and says remember me Christ didn't unleash a barrage of abuse or judgment he said surely you'll be with me today in paradise and in doing so gave billions of people hope that none of our past can impact our future with God if we trust in Christ. None of the past of the things that we have said, we have received or said to other people will impact our eternal future. One of the ways that we can respond to Christ's perfection, one of the ways that we can respond to wanting a new heart is to repent. It's to repent not only of the hurt we've caused with our tongue, but also the way that we have been a bad ambassador for Christ with our tongue. And we ask God to forgive us. And James is all about, as you'll see, asking God above for wisdom. And it says he'll surely give it to you. We're asking God for help, the indwelling Holy Spirit, to help us be transformed from the inside out. We will never get it perfectly, but whenever we light that flame, before it becomes a forest fire, we can stamp it out. The other response that we have is if we pursue the transforming presence of God. 
I was somewhat relieved in my car when there was no one else there to hear what I had said. No one else there apart from God. The reality of God, just as we're in the presence of sin, we're fully in the presence of God, our loving Father, too. And as we realize his ever-presence, it makes us want to say things differently with him around us. James's counsel to us would be, if you don't have anything helpful to say, just be quiet. Just say nothing. That's better than saying something cruel or unmerciful or unforgiving. Because we are aware of God's presence and I need to be holy because he is holy. It's also inviting us into his presence to be loved, to be encouraged, to be equipped. He is the one that will teach us and coach us. It's in a still small voice in our heads that we know, uh, say that to this person or don't say that to that person. Or even, whoa, you should not have said that. We pursue the presence of God. He will be with us every step of the way. We will not need to be perfect because Christ has been. But he will help us uh, minimize the damage we cause through our tongue. So my question to us today is, uh, do we want to be transformed? Do we desire for our language to be transformed? If we do, it's a good indicator that we have a heart of flesh. God already knows what's going in our minds, what's going in our thoughts. Uh, and as he knows that, he also knows of the full provision that he has given us in Jesus Christ. Just as Adam was the perfect representative of us in being most like us, and he used his mouth, he immediately blamed someone else for something he did. He refused to take ownership of his shortcomings. Christ did the opposite. He took full ownership of all of our shortcomings. Every cruel word that we have said, every cruel word that we will say. And he took ownership of it all. And he perfectly controlled his tongue. And even now, as we are here, before we close out with a song of worship... He is praying on our behalf, speaking words of love on our behalf to God. So let's draw near to him. Let's draw near to his transforming presence. Let's draw near to him as we want to be transformed more into the likeness of God. So we're no longer under the penalty of sin. We're no longer under the power of sin. Yes, we're in the presence of sin, but that can burn away as we pursue the presence with God. You bow your heads as I pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will come and be the fire inside us, that there will be a revival fire from the inside out. Lord, we would not necessarily be known for our perfect speech, but we would be known for people who are kind, merciful, and quick to ask for forgiveness. Lord, we desire to be one with you. Lord, we are you uh, we're with you in Christ. We're no longer in Adam. So help us under trials and temptations and pressures to be better ambassadors of Christ with what we say as well. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.